Good morning, new community. How are you? Someone said fantastic. That's good. Um, so my name is David Swanson. I am the new-ish pastor of Community Life. Been about three months. At what time? What point do you stop being new? I'm not new anymore. I am the seasoned pastor of Community Life. Um, so at my last church, when I, whenever I would preach, have about 25, 30 minutes. And, and Pastor Michael said, well, new community, you can have like 40, 45, 50. Sometimes Pastor Peter goes 55 minutes. I'm like, oh, great. That's wonderful. I'm looking at the clock right now. I've got about 25 minutes. Um, so I think this is just what you, you people do to new pastors, I think. It's a, so... Uh, we'll see how it goes this morning. Let me pray for us, and we're going to jump into this psalm. Lord Jesus, we are aware that we, um, we're spending this time in your presence. Uh, you promise that wherever your people are gathered, there is your, your Holy Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit of the living God, we would ask that you would direct our time together this morning. Uh, we would ask that as we encounter your scriptures, as we encounter Christ. That on some level our lives would be changed. On some level we would walk out of this room today with a, a little bit more of a sense of what it means to be your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As, as Pastor Michael said, we are in a series called Songs. This is week two. We're going through the Psalms. And um, I, I got to tell you, it's a, it is a little intimidating to be preaching this morning because New Community, I don't know if you know this, is blessed with some great preachers. Do you know that? Do you know that about this church? So um, yeah, you can clap. I didn't know, I didn't know we were going to be hearing a sermon from Pastor Peter today, but so that was a nice bonus. But, but folks like, uh, like Sandra, like Michelle Dotson, like Pastor Michael, um, so just lower the bar a little bit for me today, okay? Is that all right? Um, I, I wasn't here last Sunday, so I listened to Pastor Michael's sermon yesterday to get a sense of, of where uh, this series is kind of going. Um, but one th- there's one image that's stuck in my head, which is when uh, Pastor Michael said that Carlos Dotson was the black MacGyver. Were you, did you hear that? So I, I, I have this image of Carlos with this bad mullet now, which is just... If you, if you don't know who MacGyver is. Um, so that, if I get distracted today, it's because I have that image in, in my head. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 33, we're going to have the scripture up on the screen. We're going to kind of be going back and forth, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Let me share with you a story that I read in Time Magazine about two or three weeks ago. And uh, hang with me a second. You're going to see how this connects in a minute. The title of this story was Christian Conservatives Uniting Behind McCain. Not an, not an odd title, um, nothing real surprising there. But as I read the article, I read it's not, it's, the article wasn't so much about Christian conservatives, but about Christian conservative leaders uniting behind. Some of you are getting nervous now, like, who's going to like, it's not going to be about politics, I promise. We'll leave that to Pastor Peter. Uh, okay, so let me read you a couple quotes from the article. Um, this one person saying, collectively, we feel that he, John McCain, will support and advance those moral values that we hold much greater than Obama, who in our view will decimate moral values. Um, 
don't throw anything at me. Um, Okay, next quote. None of these people want to meet their maker knowing that they didn't do everything they could to keep Barack Obama from being president. Is it getting hot in here? (laughs) Uh, You've got these two people running for president. One of them is going to become president. That's the perspective. That's the whole discussion. Now, I, I have this tension in me when I read this. On one hand, I get it. Like, there's some people who believe that God has chosen one specific person to be president for our country. That's not a strange way of thinking. People on all kinds of different ends of the political spectrum will say, this is God's person to lead our country. Depending on what tradition you grew up on will probably determine whether that person is John McCain or Barack Obama, right? Um, I don't understand that thinking, really. And as we go through the psalm today, I think you're going to see why I had this tension where I got what they were saying. I got, I kind of understood where they're coming from, but then it really makes no sense to me why you would claim that God is going to advance his purpose, his mission, through some sort of political means. And we just got to make sure we elect the right person. So uh, about four or five years ago, I was at this church where I was working before in the suburbs, and this guy came by, middle of the week, and he had this stack, I guess this was like the last election, he had this stack of voting guides, Christian voting guides. Anybody seen these before? Some of you? Okay. And so he said, hey, um, I'd like to leave you these, and if you could leave these in your church lobby, that'd be great. And, you know, if you've seen these before, they basically tell you, who God wants you to vote for. And I'm sure there's like different ones on different sides, you know. Uh, So I took them and I was like, oh, thank you. Um, I'll talk to some of the other pastors about this. And and I think he could tell that I probably wasn't real interested in him because this is what he said. He said, in my experience, churches who place these voting guides, who give these voting guides to their people, are the churches that are blessed by God. (laughs) There's a convenient recycle bin, right? You know, like right after this, they went right into the recycle bin after, after that. But again, there's this way of thinking that God is going to advance God's purposes through our government, through politicians, through political ways of thinking. Or, zoom out a little bit, God is going to advance his purposes in the world through certain nations, certain countries. And I I understand that. I get where folks are coming from. But as we work through the psalm this morning, I hope that you will conclude with me that that way of thinking is is at least short-sighted and maybe missing the boat altogether. Okay, let's put up uh, the first couple of verses here of Psalm 33. We read this this morning already, so I'm just going to kind of refer back to this because you've already seen this a little bit. Um, but the psalm begins by the psalmist uh, inviting the people to praise God together. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. This is a song of praise. This is meant for when the community gathers, that, that, that they use this song to praise God. And notice who the psalmist says is singing this song the righteous. In other words, this is a song meant for those people who identify as being in the family of God, as being members of the community of God. In this ancient context, 
members of the nation of Israel. So if you're with us this morning and you wouldn't place yourself kind of in that family of God, if you're with us this morning and you've, you've not said yes to the way of Jesus, let me just say, uh, I'm really glad you're here. I, I hope this morning as we talk about this psalm, as we look at what it means to be a part of this community of God, it will be a bit of an insider's view for you. And I assume the majority of you are folks who have said yes to Jesus, who would place yourself within the kingdom of God. Realize that this psalm is for you. This psalm is for us. It's describing our life together in this community, okay? Uh, the psalm goes on in verse 3 to talk about singing a new song. Uh, if you've read the psalms, you, you realize that this phrase new song is one that pops up repeatedly. And it usually pops up at the very beginning of a psalm. And I, I do this later if you want. Go through, look at this phrase in the different psalms, and you'll notice that usually when the psalmist uses this word, these words, sing a new song, it's generally in connection with God being king, God being the eternal king. And so there's this idea that because God has always been king, God has always been on his throne, God is this eternal king, then we, his people, have to keep coming up with new songs, creative ways of, of, of praising, of singing, of proclaiming who God is. And so we, we get the sense right at the beginning of the psalm that these are the people of God coming together, recognizing the eternal king in their presence, looking, searching for ways to describe, to give praise to this king. Verses four through five, let's look at those. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. One of the, one of the problems with being a, a Christian for a while um, is that language like this gets to be um, normal. You get used to words like faithful, just, righteous, loving. And so it's really easy for us to read this kind of thing and just pass, pass right over it. Okay, yeah, God is faithful, loving, it's really discovered. It's a churchy, Christian-y language, right? That makes some of us kind of gag when we hear people use it. But I think what the psalmist would like us to do right now is just slow, slow down a second. I think what the psalmist is asking the, the worshipers to do is realize whose presence we're in. I mean, maybe this is a visual. I think the psalmist is asking us to get our faces out of our Bibles for a second and look at the world around us and compare. Is our world like that? Do we live in a world where we see faithfulness and justice and unfailing love? In that video we watched earlier with Pastor Peter would say, you know, may, maybe not. Some of you may have seen this article this week in the, in the Trib. I think it came out on Thursday. Michael told me, you heard that on the radio, right? On Wednesday on public radio. Um, Northwestern University just came out with this study on racial profiling. Does anybody hear this? Anybody read a couple, a few of you? Okay, good. So um, uh, uh, basically, let's put, this, put these statistics up here real quick. Let's see if I can see them. Um, so, so some of this will be, seem like, okay, I, we know this kind of stuff. Um, but, but basically what they found was that black folks and Hispanic folks get pulled over about twice as often as white folks and then have their cars searched. 
hopefully that's not surprising to anybody at New Community. Hopefully, like, we're kind of aware, right, that this kind of injustice is fairly regular. We know this happened. But this is, the, to me at least, was the intriguing part of this research that just came out. When these searches are conducted, when these vehicle searches are conducted, white folks are about twice as likely as black folks or Hispanic folks to have illegal contraband in their cars. You get, you get that? So you guys have like a glazed, like this, you understand what this is? If you're white, you're twice as likely to actually be doing something illegal. Do you get, is that clear? If you're black or Hispanic, you're more than twice as likely to get pulled over in the first place. Something inside of, of us, I hope, I pray, something inside of us just breaks when, when we see that. When we're confronted with that kind of reality, that kind of ugly reality, I mean, I, I get this like nauseous feeling in my stomach. Going that, that's, the, that's okay, that's the reality of the Illinois that we live in today. And we read the scriptures and we see that, that God is loving and faithful and just and righteous. Oh, that sounds so good. And then we look and we see this. And that's not the world that we live in. It's not a righteous, not a just world closer to home, I think we could just look at our, our, the relationships that we're in. How, how many of you are in relationships that are perfectly faithful, perfectly loving? If you think that you are, give it a day or two and you'll... <laughs> it's not the world that we inhabit. And so I think, I think that the, 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 the poet here in this, in this psalm is saying, don't rush, don't rush past this. Pay attention to the kind of God who you are singing to because he's other than our world. He's different than our world. And, and, and the reality of the community of God who worships this God has to look different than the world that we experience every day. All right, let's keep, let's keep moving through this psalm. Um, okay. Okay. Word of the Lord. Let's look at verses six, and nine, six through nine. I, what I want to do this morning as we go through this, I'm going to ask four questions. We're about to get to the first one. I want to ask four questions of our community and, and ask whether or not we can be the community that we, that we encounter here in, this, in the 33rd Psalm. When, when we hear the uh, phrase, word of the Lord, uh, it, it, you should kind of perk up a little bit because generally someone is describing what God has done what God has accomplished. This is like code language to pay attention. You're about to encounter something amazing, something that God has done. And that's what happens here in Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. And it goes on. But the, the poet is saying, God just had to speak. And creation came into being. By the word of the Lord, these things were accomplished. This is notable, I think, because when I praise God, when I spend time in prayer thanking God, most of the time, I'm thanking him for things that have directly impacted my life. Are you tracking with me? Do you know what I mean? So thank you, Lord, for this new home that you've provided for my wife and I. Thank you, Lord, for this new community that has welcomed us in. 
Those are, those are good things to be thankful for, right things to be thankful for. But you see what the psalmist is doing here? He's leading the community to thank God, to praise God for things that don't really directly impact them. Does that make sense? Praising God for being a creative God, for doing these amazing things. How often do you do that? How often in your times of of prayer do you thank God for just simply who he is or what he has done for somebody else? I'm just so selfish. That's really hard for me. And that's why it's so important when we come together, when we gather together, that we sing songs like we sang this morning, that lift us up out of ourselves, that take our eyes off of ourselves, that, that, that expand our world to see what God is doing all around us in the lives of people all around us. So our community today would say, thank you, Lord, for what is happening in the warming center five days a week. Thank you, Lord, for these people who are going to Colombia. Thank you, Lord, that there's a church in Colombia that's going to welcome our people in and on and on and on. Things that don't directly relate to us. Let's put this first question up here. This is what I wonder about our community. Can we be a community that worships God for what he is doing in our neighborhoods, in our city, and in our world? You know what? This is what I picture, new community. This is what I picture. Like other, other churches, other Christians in the city of Chicago, like if they want to know what God is doing in our city, like, talk to someone from New Community. You, you want to know what's going out on outside of your own little local Christian community? Talk to somebody from New Community because I don't know what it is about those people, but they've got their fingers on the pulse of what God is doing in this city. I think that would be pretty cool. And I think that would demonstrate a community that knows how to worship a God that is doing amazing things, huge things, magnificent things that maybe don't always directly impact us. There's something else going on in these verses here, though. Uh, Scholars will say that in verse 7, this is what verse 7 says, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts them into storehouses. Scholars will say that's what's happening in just this little verse here, this kind of poetic phrase, is that the psalmist is directing the people backwards, asking them to look back over their history. Uh, there's a, in, in Exodus chapter 15, there's this, this kind of poem that is called the Song of the Sea. And it's a song that the ancient Israelites sang together after God led them through the sea. When there seemed to be no way, no escape from slavery and bondage in Egypt, the Lord miraculously created a way through the sea. And they escaped Egypt and the sea came crashing down on Pharaoh and his armies. And after this, they sing this song of praise of what God has done. And scholars say that what's happening in this one little verse here is, is, is pointing the people back to this moment in history. And then, if you, if you move into the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul looks back to that moment in history, and he interprets it, and he says, this was the Israelites' baptism into being the people of God. The Apostle Paul says, at that moment, they became a new community. They had been baptized into this new community. And so with this one kind of turn of the phrase, the poet is able to point the people backwards and ask them to praise God, not just for who God is, 
but for their very existence. You see that? They're praising God that they exist as a people in the first place. And, and, and how is that possible? How can he do that in just such a short little phrase that we pass right over? I think it's because these people, these ancient Israelites, they knew their story. They knew who they were. All it took was this one little kind of poetic phrase. And they, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's, our, that's my story. Those are my ancestors. I've heard those stories since I was a child. I, that was an amazing, that's when we became a people. With this one little turn of the phrase. How would, that, how would that work for us? How would it work for us to know our new community story? Maybe, maybe it involves like at this date, this thing happened. We started in this theater and then we were in inner city impact. And I, I like knowing that stuff because I wasn't around for all that. Like that's probably good. But you know what I think is more important? I think it's more important that we know each other's stories. That you know the stories of the people that you're in community group with. That you know the stories of the people that you're leading worship with. That you know the stories of the people who are serving at the warming center with you, who are going out uh, ministering to homeless folks on the streets. That you know those stories of the people in the pew with you this morning. I guarantee your, your story is different than theirs. I've had this privilege over the past two and a half months being the new guy. You, like, you can kind of do whatever you want. And so I've just gone out for coffee and taking people out for lunches and dinners. And, and, and it's, my, it's my job, which is so great. And I, I get to say, tell me your story. How did you end up at New Community? Where were you before this? What was it like for you kind of raised in, in an all-Asian church to now be in this what was that, what's that like? What does that feel like? Help me know what you experience. What is it like to be someone who grew up their whole life in the city of Chicago? I'm a transplant. What is that like? We need to know our stories. You have got to know people's history, who you're worshiping with. After two and a half months here, I'm beginning, I'm beginning to be able to say, these are my people. This is my, this, I'm a part of this community. Why? Because some of you are starting to know my story and I'm beginning to know your stories. So look at the second question for us this morning. Can we be a community that praises God for our very existence because we know our story? Look, as you start listening to people's story in this community, you're going you're gonna to realize real quickly the only way this thing is working is because God is holding it together. You get that? The only reason that this community exists and is thriving and we're talking about purchasing a building is because God is present in our stories. So can we be the kind of community that's able to praise God because we're aware of just how absurd this community is that we exist. You can like shake your head if you think that might be, yeah, okay. I have some convincing to do, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 10. And put verse 10 up there. Um, okay, let me just read a little bit of this for you. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generation. 
Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. You know this already. Let me remind you. God calls out uh, a man named Abram. And he promises Abram that he's going to turn him into a great family, into a great nation. Why? So that this nation can bless the world. From the very beginning, the very time that God encounters Abram is crystal clear. Abram, I'm going to do something in you, in this new family, in this new nation, so that you can bless the world. And, and as, we, as we look through the scriptures, as we look, especially through the Old Testament, as we, as we look at the prophets, we see that the nation of Israel is blessed by God when they get that. When they understand that their purpose is, is to embody the work of God, to embody the presence of God, and to bless the world. And when they're doing that, God blesses them. When they don't, when they get off track, they experience God's judgment. When they mistake their nationhood or their ethnicity for God's blessing, they get off track. That is our, I say that for some of us, that's the American story as well. Some of us grew up in an environment that said, because you're American, you're blessed. God is, it's like, a, it's like a nation set apart. So I had this experience about, this is, this is the kind of one of the first moments that I really encountered this. About five or six years ago, I'm at this men's retreat. And we were at this retreat for a weekend and had Bible teaching and times of worship. And then the last thing that we do, we're in this little chapel, and the guy who's organizing it, he, he stood up and he starts talking about how much God loves America. I'm like, okay. I'm wondering where this is going. And then he says, I'd like us all to stand and sing this song together. And it was by this guy named Lee Greenwood. You just have to see this visual just to kind of, if you don't know this song. So if you don't know the song, God Bless America by Lee Greenwood, like that's going to give you a visual. It's one of Pastor Michael's favorite musicians, singers. I didn't know that, but he has like, (laughs) he's like got a collector's edition box set. So... I don't really know the guy, but my, talk to him if you want. But this song, God Bless America, and, and I, I don't know the whole song, but it, it ends, um, yeah, with this language that God, you know, God will bless the USA. And, and can I tell you, the men in this room are standing. Some of them are crying as they're singing this song. This is not, this, this, this idea, this notion that we confuse God's blessing with who we are as a nation or ethnicity. It's not just contained to the ancient people of Israel. It happens to us today too. And listen, when we do this, we miss something huge. We've got to understand that as a people, we are separate. We are called out from any one nation. Listen, listen, look at this. This is, this is significant here. First Peter um, let me read this. So First Peter is, Peter is the Apostle Peter. He's writing to this early church, this ragtag group of believers who are coming from all kinds of different cultures and ethnic groups, trying to figure out what does it mean to be a part of this new community of Jesus followers. And Peter says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And then this phrase, huge, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See what Peter's doing here? He's looking at this new church. He says, church, it's you now. 
with, with all of your stories, with all of your baggage, with all of your histories, you are the holy nation. How can, how can Peter say this? Listen to how he opens his letter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ! Exclamation point. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the, resurrec- the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can, how can the Apostle Peter look at this new church and say, you church are the holy nation? Because Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. How, how can the Apostle Peter, who was steeped in, in this idea that, that the nation of Israel was the blessed people, was the chosen people, how can he then look at this multi-ethnic, eclectic, confused group of people and say, you are the holy nation? One reason only. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this new community is born. Is that that making sense? Are you getting that? This is is huge. Because it's always going to be our temptation. It's always going to be our tendency to find our identity in something else. Always. Let's, Let's ask this question then. Our third question. Can we be a community? Think about it. Don't just say yes to this one. Can we be a community whose allegiance is only to the God who has formed us into a holy nation? Depending on your experience, your, your background, your, who you identify with, that's going to be easier or harder to answer that question. This, does, this, this question does not mean that we leave behind our distinctiveness, that we set aside our cultural distinction, that we set aside our histories or our stories and, okay, we're all the same, we all, no, no, no. This means we bring all of that with us and step into this new community where we say our allegiance is to Jesus Christ who was resurrected from the dead only. We bow our knee to no one else. that making sense? Don't answer that question very fast. That's a, that's a dangerous question to answer. And, and the writer knows this. The writer knows how hard this is. Look at verses 16 and 17. And let me just paraphrase this for you. Let's put it up here. Let me paraphrase this for how maybe uh, it would have been written today. Verses 16 and 17. No country is saved by the size of its military. No soldier by his weapons. A massive military spending budget is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite its huge power and influence, it cannot save. I mean, that's the significance of what's being said here. Like, you know, we don't really get the idea of a horse being like a mighty weapon, right? So like, this is maybe how it would have been written to us today. You can't put your hope in the things that nations put their hope in the poet says. They will fail. They are not your identity. This is, this is frankly, an an absolutely absurd thing to say. If if, if you really kind of go down this path with anybody who's really not kind of committed to the way of Jesus, the kingdom of God, this will make no sense. And, And that's okay. Because this idea that our hope is in Christ alone, that our identity is within the kingdom of God alone, ought to make very little sense. Ought to be a little strange, to sound a little odd, a little naive, a little idealistic, a little out of touch to those who've not 
said yes to the way of Jesus, whose lives have not been transformed by an encounter with the risen Christ. What, what, is gonna, what is going to replace for you your identity within the kingdom of God? It's going to be different for you than it is for me. But, but what are, what are going to be the things where you're going to look to find security, safety, identity in outside of the security of God's kingdom, of God's community? This is just this ongoing human story. God calls the people to himself, and those people kind of are enamored with that for a little bit, and then they get distracted and find hope elsewhere. So, so, so I, I was thinking about this. Why is there times in our kind of Christian history where there, there seem like there's these moments where the, the church, the community is getting it right, where ref, their, their life together reflects the, the beautiful coming kingdom of God, and then other times when it just is not happening. The people are distracted. The community turns in on itself. There's probably different reasons, but let's look at verses 18 and 19 here because I think the the poet is getting at something here. Um, Actually, yeah, let's hold off from putting those up there, Matt. Um, We live, and this is going to give you a hint of where this is going, we live in a fearful society. Do you know that? Do you know that we live, like, in a fear-based society? Like, have you ever been watching, the, like, a television show before the evening news comes on? And, like, you know, then, like, the evening news, like, teaser comes on, and, you know, it's something like, common food may kill you instantly. <laughs> Details at 10. <laughs> have you, and you're, like, eating your d- dinner. Like, do I eat? Do I, I, what is, what's the food? <laughs> But it sells. It works. We're going to tune in. Let me show you. On Thursday, I just pulled a couple of websites just to demonstrate this kind of fearful. Man opens fire in Walmart. I already don't like Walmart. I will never go into a Walmart again. Uh, look at the next one. Um, what's, what's the next slide? Car, anybody from Detroit here? Any Detroit folks? So if you're in Detroit, you may not want to call a tow truck uh, from here on out because apparently car thieves are posing as tow truck operators. Next slide. Pittsburgh Cancer Center warns of risk from cell phone use. Can I, let me read you the very last paragraph. Uh, no, no, I'll go back to that one. Another researcher likened cell phone use to playing Russian roulette with your brain. <laughs> That's great. Last one. This is the most serious one. Salmonella traced to one jalapeno. (laughs) From our very own Chicago Sun-Times. Let me look at the last paragraph. For now, the government is strengthening its earlier precaution against hot peppers to a full-blown warning that no one should eat fresh jalapenos or products such as salsa made from them. I refuse to be intimidated by salmonella. If If we stop eating jalapenos, the salmonella will have won. <laughs> and I will not take it. That and I really like spicy food. So, um, Look, we live in a society that just thrives on fear. That's the air that we breathe. So look at this. Look at verses 18 and 19. Look at what the poet says here. This is beautiful, beautiful language. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. Real quickly, the people of God know 
that the only thing in this life we have to fear is the God of unfailing love. Let me say that again. The only thing the people of God have to fear in this life is the God of unfailing love who was crucified for us, was resurrected for us, and who has invited us into his kingdom. That's it. I'm not glossing over the fears that you and I have. A lot of us have some fears for some really good reasons. But you and I have been invited to be a part of a community that's growing in our understanding. We have nothing to fear in this life. The early Christians knew this. Stories of the early Christians uh, when a, a, a massive plague would hit one of their cities, everybody who had any money would get out of town except the Christians. The Christians would, would stay and care for people who were dying. You read ancient historians and they're confused by this. Everybody left except the Christians. And they didn't just care for other Christians, they, they cared for anybody. I'll put this quote up here. There's this woman Ancient uh, woman, about three, four hundred or so, uh, Fabiola was her name. She lived in Rome, very wealthy. When she encountered Christ, she put all of her wealth into building some of the first hospitals. And St. Jerome, a very well-known ancient church theologian, he, he writes this about St. Fabiola. Was there a naked or a bedridden person who was not clothed with garments supplied by her? Were there ever any in want to whom she failed to give a quick and unhesitating supply? Even Rome was not wide enough for her pity. Could it be said of us? Could it be said of New Community Church? Maybe we'd replace the word pity with compassion. Even the city of Chicago was not wide enough for their compassion. And by the way, all of the care that folks received in this hospital, totally free. Those of you who are about building community in this church, you realize this, that, that we cannot fear anything except the God who loves us. So let me ask this last question. Can we be a community that is willing to risk everything as we follow Jesus because we have nothing to fear but the God who loves us? Let's just read these last couple verses, verses 20 and 22. We wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. The psalmist ends by saying, we are nothing if we are not a hopeful people. We are a hopeful people, despite the things that we see around us. We are a hopeful people. Why? Because our eternal king is worthy of a new song. We are a hopeful people because the injustice of this world cannot and will not stand in the face of the God who has conquered evil. You and I, were a hopeful people because we exist as a holy nation. You, new community, exist as a holy nation of people who've been shown mercy. We're a hopeful people, the psalmist says, because we have nothing to fear except the God who loves us. There's one last verse here, and it's a prayer. And this is what I like to do. I want to pray for us this morning. But very specifically, I want to pray for those of you who are the community builders in our church. 
I want to pray for those of you who, who lead community groups, who are community coaches, who host community groups. I want to pray for those of you who show up to the warming center every week and are fostering community there. I want to pray for those of you who are on service teams and, and, and creating community in those service teams. And, 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 and anybody else that I'm forgetting, those of you who understand that your identity, that our identity is primarily within God's kingdom, within God's community, and you're doing everything you can to demonstrate that, to create that. We want to pray this last verse for you this morning. All right? So that's what we're going to do. If you are any one of those folks, I'd like you to stand up right now. Community group leaders, community group coaches, hosts, stand up. People who are leading service teams and fostering community, warming center folks, homeless center, hospitality team. All of you folks, I want you to stand up. I know there's more than four of you. This is called New Community Covenant Church after all. All right. And I want those of you who are around them to stand up and please place their hands on them because we desperately need these people to lead us. We desperately need these people to show us what it looks like to be this new community. All right, so if you're around them, please stand up. Place your hands on them. I'm going to pray for them and for us, and then we're going to sing one last song together. Let's pray. Our God, you are worthy of a new song. Our God, you have shown us mercy when we had not known mercy. Our God, you have called us into being, into a new community, into a holy nation, when before we would have been separated, even at odds. Our God, you are doing a new thing. You are accomplishing your purposes in our world. You're accomplishing your mission in our world, not through the powerful, the spectacular, but through the weak and the foolish things of this world. God, you have called into existence a new community of people, a ragtag group of disciples, an eclectic group of folks, people, Lord, who have our own stories, our own confusing questions. And somehow you've called us into being, into existing together. And not only have you called us into being, but you have said through you, church, through you, new community, I want to bless the world. I want to make myself known to all of creation. I want to see the mission fulfilled. And so, Lord, we pray for these community builders, these leaders in our church who are showing us what it looks like because we need to picture it. We know what it's like to live in our culture, in a fear culture, Lord. We need to picture it. And so we pray for these people, Lord. We pray that your unfailing love will rest upon us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Thank you, Lord, that our hope is not misplaced. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe what you're saying, that God is holy, can you applaud the Lord? Applaud the Lord. Applaud the Lord. Hallelujah. We believe. Stand for the benediction. Um, As we prepare to go, right before we have our corporate benediction, um, I said this last week, um, Pastor Peter's still away. We want you to continue to pray for him. Uh, His family is back, and so don't let uh, 
uh, Jenny and uh, the children get away without welcoming them uh, back. Uh, continue to pray for him, however. Uh, secondly, I'm struck by how many people have stood as leaders of our church today. And I just want to remind you, uh, and we don't say this all the time, but it's implicit when you see Columbia missionaries standing, leaders of community standing. I hope you know that we can't be this church without all of us, that we can't be the church without one another. After the benediction, uh, we invite everyone to join us in the fellowship hall. If you don't know where it is, stop by the connection table, the table in the lobby, uh, our hospitality, glad to point you right in that direction. Stop there so that we can pray together. Our leadership team is going to lead us. If you're in prayer ministry, if you're in leadership, I hope you especially will be there. But everybody here, take a few moments. We won't be there all day, uh, but please come. We have specific things we need uh, to be praying about this afternoon. Stand up, everyone. Stand to your feet. This is our corporate benediction. Please, uh, let's do this together. We are God's servants, gifted with dreams and visions. Upon us rests the grace of God like flames of fire. We will love and serve the Lord in the strength of the Spirit. May the deep peace of Christ be with us. The strong arms of God sustain us, and the power of the Holy Spirit strengthens us in every way. Amen. See you next week.